0: We'll, we'll get started. Um, I don't usually do very official intros. I don't really like that either. So uh, without further ado on the Finance and Property Survival Guide today, uh, Bram Lowys, who is the lead researcher, I think was the right term and That's you, right. at the University of South Australia, as well as a senior lecturer, which is very, very official. So I wanted to first say thank <laughs> you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, thank you again for coming on. How are you going today?
1: My pleasure, Damien. All good, thank you. Yes, beautiful day in uh, in
0: Adelaide.
1: Cooler mm. weather than we had, so that's nice. Um, yeah, all all good. Great. The, the, the year is just flying. No, that's the it's flying by. Yeah,
0: it's a bit overwhelming at times to realise that the month it's already nearly a quarter of the year out of the way. So, with that being exactly. said, um, I wondered if you could give people a bit of an idea of. Uh, who you are what you do and and sort of how you got started at the university as well
1: Mm -hmm. all right so so certainly I can do that my my background um is uh, I'm a South African um from you know so I grew up in South Africa I've spent almost 39 years of my life in South Africa um I studied there um I've got many hats when it comes to study I, I love studying um, but I have spent some time in in industry as well. So my first my first um, route of studying was in finance and accounting, and um, where I did my honours degree and masters, and then moved into the, the wonderful world of investment banking, um, where uh, where money is quick, where life is quick, um, and where things happens quickly, and that was great for a number of years, about about three four years, and then. Um, you know, property as an investment vehicle really got my attention, and I decided to go back to uni and and further my studies in in a property orientated type type course where I did a masters of science in in real estate and and ended up doing a PhD mixing the two fields together. You know, finance and and um, and property investment. I looked specifically at behavioural biases and. And property fund managers and how their behavioural biases really influence the decisions that they make for their property funds, which was very interesting. So we're talking about biases like, like overconfidence, representativeness, you know, things like that. Mm. Uh, so it was an interesting study. Um, between all of those studies, earlier, just after my honours degree, I did spend a year and a half in the Kruger National Park uh, chasing rhinos. Um, with the veterinarian team mm. that was my choice at uni uh is veterinarian sciences mm. so i thought uh, after after studying my first choice just go ha- have a go you know and 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 see how it goes and it was great fun um you know we we darted the rhinos uh specifically for for um for getting them um checked out and you know apply medicine and all those kind of things so it was it was really Great time in my life. Um, But I decided there that (laughs) the finance world and the business world is probably um, where I will end up. So um, so it was good to have that experience as well. Um, We we moved to uh, New Zealand um, due to um, my PhD. I did a bit of uh, final work in New Zealand on my PhD um, and uh, lived in Wellington just over a year. And then back to South Africa when that was all finished. And um, in 2015, um, I was offered the position at UNESA and and we considered it as a family and, and decided to, to come over. And um, And we've been here since 2015. I, I teach in the property discipline. So I teach property investment to my third year students. Um, I'm also a qualified chartered surveyor. So I, I teach what we call building evaluation of property where we We teach our business students how to actually investigate a residential and commercial building for building faults and how those building faults can actually influence value Mm. because it's about the value at the end of the day, isn't it? Mm. Um, But I also do a very exciting course with our first years called Professional Development in Property where I really introduce our first year students to the wonderful world of property and the industry. So a lot of guest speakers, yesterday we had the Real Estate Institute of South Australia, the Australian Property Institute, doing a presentation to them, um, really getting them to understand how to plan your career, uh, how to write a resume, um, especially with the focus on property, how to apply for jobs, um, you know, how to think crit- critically, things like that. So that's quite a quite a difference to property investment. That's that's very mathematical, which I also like. Mm. So that's what I teach. My my research really. Evolved into um, into what we talked about, what we're talking about today, and really, I'm focusing on an older generation more than a younger generation in my research niche, and really how older people make financial decisions and how capable they are in making financial decisions. So, so where does younger generations comes in? Come in. So we learn from from the older generations to actually then extrapolate or or, or use that as examples for younger generations, not to make the same type of mistakes, you know. So you can never say let's quarantine older people or let's quarantine younger people. You know, there's interactions between those two groups. Um, And therefore, I do do apply an intergenerational lens on it as well. Um, So financial decisions obviously also involves investment decisions such as, 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 as property investment. So, so that's what I'm, I'm, I'm focusing on, Damien. I've got a number of grant of funded projects that, that we do with a wonderful research team that's, that's uh, you know, cross-sectional. We've got a psychologist on the team. We've got social worker on the team. Um, it's, it's, it's really become a, a more social science type, type um, research niche, which I like because I work with the individual themselves and not only with a set of secondary data. Mm. Um, and, uh, and, and, and yeah, we, um, we, we are publishing a number of papers and, and, um, and, and, and try to make an impact through that. Mm. And before, before we start
0: talking about the paper in question for today, I, I've never been to university, but it's something I'm interested in doing in the future. Cause I, I do know that there's some, some types of study that I do want to pursue when I'm older. But how does it exactly work moving from universities? If you're studying over uh, in in South Africa and then you you were able to move over to New Zealand, how was that something where the the two universities have some relationships already built in, and that's a, a, an available option?
1: That's correct. It's a it's a type of a international student transfer program. Um, you know where you where you gain. Um, International experience, uh, rather than just focusing on your on your local area or your country. So, so that's that's an application process that you need to go through, and and you you need to to hit certain milestones and have certain have certain skills to actually do that. So that it's not a lot of people that has that opportunity or get that opportunity. Um, but once you know your PhD, once you have your PhD. Um, your PhD gets examined internationally. You know, mm-hmm. so I've got a PhD at the University of Pretoria in South Africa, but my examiners were all um, in, in either Europe, New Zealand and Australia. So, um, so that, that, that in effect, you know, makes it an a, a internationally recognized degree, what the University of South Australia did when I came over in, in any case.
0: When you got the offer to move from New Zealand to the University of South Australia, and you said it was a, it was a family conversation to decide whether you were going to make this move. Were you, uh, was there a level of fear or anxiety around moving? Like, was it something you were a bit uneasy about like taking on? Cause it is a big, it's not, it's a big chance. Obviously you're moving over with a secure job to, to move into, but it's still a big transition. I'm sure. How did you feel about it moving over?
1: The, uh, the the conversation was really, I think, along the lines of two things: leaving our family behind. So remember, from New Zealand, we moved back to South Africa once mm. the PhD was done. So we have had a little bit of exposure in terms of mm. that for, as a family. The kids were very young, so we could do that. My wife could take that year off from her job in South Africa, uh, which was great. Um, and we had friends in Wellington, which was great as well. Mm. Um, actually studied with my wife at uni so um, she was working at the local hospital there so that was great um, to to have uh, so we had that experience a little bit of that um but still you know it is it's important to know that that family is a, is a is a really important part of it that was the first consideration and then the second consideration is really you know the financial impact it's going to have you know to emigrate from a country that's Financially, uh, or economically, um, in in a in a in a in an informal sense, or, or you know, still that a developing economy, um, your money is not worth the same when you move to a country such as Australia, even if you do have a secure job. So those were were important considerations, but there were many push factors as well. Um, you know, it, it the, the the value for a life. Uh, in, in South Africa, at, at that stage, was not very high, mm. um, and crime and things like that was also very high. So, so that that's a massive push factor, and I mean you you can speak to any South African in Australia that 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 is one of the considerations of moving, um, and uh, and and you know we we had, so it, so it wasn't easy, mm. but the fact that there was a secure a uh, job, on the other hand, that I really looked forward to, um, and also looked forward to work with more internationally renowned researchers, um, was was a, was a major pull factor. And um, I would also always know that my wife will will uh, will be okay with with getting a job. So you know she's a professional as well. Um, but yeah, so so we did make the decision. We both um, we don't regret it. We did lose both our mothers in the process, you know, while, while, while we were here, uh, but you can never, you can never, you know, um, plan for that. Mm-hmm. Those are things that just happens, um, but we, we don't regret it. No. Mm-hmm. I apologize
0: to hear about the, the loss of the mothers, but I understand. Yeah. There's things you can't plan mm-hmm. for when you, when you take a big move like that, you, you're not going to be able to, you know, timetable that in, so to speak.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it has an impact on, on your financial life as well. That's important to know. You know, moving is not, it's it, it, especially as I said, coming from a developing economy to a developed economy. Um, financially it takes it takes a number of years to get to get close to par with your peers. You
0: know. And, and that being said, so the the paper we we were going to discuss today it's called "Locked Out: Generational Inequalities of Housing Tenure and Housing Type." I wondered, first off, uh, what was the catalyst uh, for this paper being written? Was it something you guys had been speaking about doing for a while, or did this come about quite quickly? How does the process sort of work?
1: Yeah, the the initial thinking behind this one of one of our um, one of my co-authors, Peter Rossini, that's also. Uh, one of my colleagues in the property discipline at UniSA, uh, so UniSA is University of South Australia. Um, he is he's great with 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 uh, heat maps and and GIS and and those kind of things. And uh, we started talking about um, different generations and who who holds properties closer to cities. You know, we started he started compiling a bit of a bit of work in terms of heat maps and just in Adelaide. Mm-hmm. And and that really triggered triggered it. Um, because my research and these focuses on older people, I also was interested to see where are they um, where are they living? We know that they own their properties. Where are they living? Are they close to residential aged care, amenities, those kind of things. So that really started started the conversation. Um, I have a wonderful colleague in 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 um, Northern Ireland, Professor Stanley McGreal, He's um, semi-retired now, um, but has a wealth of experience, and mm. and, and at the, at the University of South Australia. So I contacted Stanley, and and he gave his input, and then Graham Squires from um, from Massey University um, to bring to bring another um, international aspect to this, and and, and and Graham is excellent in terms of spatial, spatial work and, and, and a renowned housing economist. Um, So that's how we formed the team. And, and, and it, and it went from there. And, and so I'll quickly, I wanted to
0: maybe explain to people how you categorised the age groups that you then compared of how many of these age groups, you know, own homes compared to renting and in, in what location. So I thought we could, I'll quickly go through it. So you categorize the age groups as the silent generation and I've done the math. So, the silent generation for the listeners is people aged from 77 to 97 then the baby boomer uh, baby baby boomer generation which was 58 to 76 generation x is 42 to 57 and millennial age group which is 21 to 41 and you were examining you know the conditions under which each of those generations were owning houses or renting houses and what types of House types, so detached houses, units, things of that nature. Yeah. Is that about? Is yeah. that correct? Yeah, yeah, and,
1: and 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 to add to that, in 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 four metropolitan areas, you okay. know, we uh we 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 deliberately stayed away from from rural areas for now, um you know, due to to lack of data, um, so we we the only data we could access is ABS data, um so the data wasn't that hot and um and also time constraints and we, we really just wanted to do an initial dig at it and, and really had to have a go um you know and and, and we found what we found and, and and that's great because you know there's a foundation now for us to to further this work um to 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 widen it there's there's new census data coming out soon mm-hmm. um which will be great to use there's, there's other sources data sources that we've came about as well that can substantiate it significantly and and we can we can probably do a cross-country comparison with new zealand now as well which would be great mm. you know so there's a lot we can add to this conversation okay um this is the start of it
0: yeah and so yeah so this is obviously like we said off air too this is the 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 beginning stage of something you hope to build on in the future and so the, the the ABS data you guys used in the paper was all of the census results from the last three census, censuses. That's so great. that would be 2006, 2011 and 2016. So I, I wondered, I don't know a lot about university papers, but I thought this paper was great. It wasn't too long. It wasn't too wordy. It was It was readable for someone like myself who sometimes terminology- especially from universities can be a bit uh overwhelming for myself so i thought you guys did a really good job so i want to say that off the bat i wondered what if, if, if you could explain what findings you guys discovered and maybe the reasons you you attributed it to the findings right so so let me just go back
1: one step um the reason the paper do read a little bit easier than your than your than your other publications or my other publication says that we really only had three data points, you know, so we have a bit of a time series, mm. but three data points in that time series is not enough for us, we felt, to really do robust time series analysis.
0: Okay.
1: Change when we have a fourth data set coming out, you know, we might then start thinking in that direction. So we made the decision that we'll keep the paper descriptive, you know, um, to 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 the maximum with robustness in analysis to an inferential level, but really not to a modeling level because um, there was too many unknowns. Mm. You know, in, you know, you design a model um, with millennials as your dependent variable, and um, or, or, or housing tenure or type, millennial. It, it depends on how it comes out, but it will be totally skewed. Um, there's just not enough data, so. We get the descriptive, which was great. Um, and and I, I suppose that's why it, 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 it reads a bit better as well and it, it flows better. Um, look, really, to start off with, is we know that in Australia, because this is an important point before we talk about the findings, We know in Australia, it's, it's home ownership driven banking. Mm. There's entrenched ideology of home ownership, all right? Um, And that comes from the 50s post-war. So everybody wants to own a home and it is good in Australia to own a home. Mm. You would to have one at 65. You know, uh, well, I'll probably only retire at 70 because I keep pushing it out. But once that age comes, with current housing policy, you know, in place, it's good to have a house. Mm. Um, But once you start digging into... Into these heat maps that we looked at, you could see that there's a stark contrast about who's owning the homes, you know. And we could we could clearly see just by eyeballing those heat maps that it looks to us like older generations own closer to cities, with younger generations living on the city fringes. All right. So that that prompts us to investigate the variations be, be, between property tenure and type. And and with this paper, we don't want to make make, um, huge claims or or create a divide between generations. It was really descriptive and informative to show the reader that there are inequalities, uh, there's spatial inequalities, and this is the reasons why we say that. So, um, So on that premise, what we found really firstly is that that as I said, max, the, the variations in property tenor, tenure shows clearly that um, property are owned mostly by your silent generation and your baby boomers. What is really interesting is my generation, Generation X, which is the la- larger, larger of, of generation or the, the, got the most uh, data points in or people in, sorry, I shouldn't speak academic language, mm-hmm. the most uh, relates to Generation X. Uh, and remember, we, we are gonna retire. Um, so that massive generation is moving into retirement. Mm. But interestingly, exponentially, their investment in property is picking up. Um, now, we can make deductions on that. And one of the deductions is that as they move closer to retirement, they are a bit more cashed up. Mm. Um, millennial. Um, they are still working, they are still earning their incomes. So it is easier for them, given the wonderful housing policy we have, negative gearing, those kind of things, to move into investment properties. Right. So we see that happening. On the other hand, the other key finding is that it is it is if what in the analysis we've done that millennials is 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 the general. That, that, is, that is not owning property. So it's in stark contrast to what we found for baby boomers, silent generation and generation X. Um, and so much so that they mostly revert back to the parental home or have to enter the private rental market. Um, and that that is that is that is the inequality that we found on housing type really um, not much variation because of. The massive type type of data points in detached houses in Australia. So we haven't found a lot of variation there. Um, but really, that brought us to the conclusion that, that millennials are locked out by older generations that's holding property closer to amenities, closer to cities. And that really creates a spatial injustice or you know, a spatial inequality um, in terms of. Of 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 property and who holds property wealth in Australia. Mm. So in short, that's that's the finding. So what we suggest through this paper is is really you know, and, and this is where I suppose we want to do more work is how can we how can we change housing policy or, or get housing policy to be more nuanced so that it it really addresses not only and older generation, but also younger generations. And my thinking around that is, you know, aging in place is, is, a, is a is a policy. It's a policy decision by federal government. Aging in place, place is home, it's our primary residence, it's our house. Um, but then again, if you look on the other, on the other hand, yes, there's first-time homeowner grants and things like this. But if you take South Australia, if you're a first-time home buyer, you know. Over and above the twenty percent you need to save, you still have to pay five percent stamp duty. Mm. Property, you know, Damien, it becomes probably a double twenty percent. You know, that you a forty percent you need to save. So, so that's that's the thinking. You know, where we can start thinking about how we can nuance policies to make it easier for those that's first time home buyers, which is which is generally. Largely millennials and Generation Z coming through as well. Mm. You know? um, although I do think that that there will be other vehicles to get involved in property as well, rather than just owning a property. You know, there's there's the um, there's there's a lot of disruptive property vehicle, vehicles, and, and I've done research on on fractional property investment and property crowdfunding and mm. things like that, syndication, um, but. But it's speculative, you know, it, it doesn't give you a roof over your head. And, mm-hmm. and that's the policy. So, so that's what that's 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 what we are proposing. You know, we, we cannot make the deduction that that yes, change the policy, but we can make the suggestion based on what we've analyzed. Um, and I think in the next stage, you know, we'll take take these key findings and add data to that to, to really make it more robust and a more robust modeling approach to really test it again, you know, and, and, and make sure that we're on the right track, but then also then start making some more formal policy suggestions.
0: My dad uh, is a mortgage broker. I work for him. We run a family business and he's, God, I, I should know his age. I think he's 59 he might be uh, younger sorry dave i don't remember how old he is but we always we always have this discussion about why it's if is it really harder for young people to get into the market or not and my dad's mindset is it probably is more difficult but the media has talked about being it being difficult for years it's always sort of a talking point they've sort of hammered in on because it sort of feeds a narrative but at the same time if if the cost of a de- if, if saving for a deposit's the first thing you need to sort out to get a home loan but the 20% deposit of a house goes up 30% over two years which is sort of the around what the track to growth of housing has been going up in value across the country and wages aren't going up because we've been in a pandemic there's been a lot of economic factors to stop people being able to get higher wages as it is Plus there's inflationary pressures. I don't know what petrol costs where you are, but it's not great over here. So there's there's not great yeah. over here. Uh, yeah. So there's external factors that are making it harder, even for younger people to save the money, even if they are good savers in the first place. Plus uh, there's rental supply issues going on too, where a lot of people are probably going to have an issue when their lease comes up because there's less rental supply now than there was two years ago in a lot of the country. So the landlords are like, they're going to be in a position where they could raise their rents to a point to, to cater to a higher demand level, get more money for their properties, which prices out people that might not make a higher income. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of problems that my dad thinks can only really be solved by just getting more supply out there. Like that sort of seems like one of the main ways we could address this, right? And I wondered what your thoughts were on that. Like it seems like there's just an undersupply of property.
1: Well, well, absolutely. Everything that you've said there is, is absolutely true. Um, and it's, that's the issue. You know, there's no supply and or, or very low supply, high demand. What happens to property prices? You know, it increases, there's inflationary pressure, there's no wage growth. Uh, And very importantly as well, there's infrastructure issues, Mm. you know, transportation, things like that. That also has a huge effect on on property. So, So definitely supply, though, how do you increase that? You know, if you do need to push people out to city fringes where they need to build properties and you make it attractive for them to do that, you need to provide them with the infrastructure, especially transportation to get from there to their works in the city. But not only that, you will have to 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 also include similar amenities that they have in the city that they can have there. That's not happening. Right? So it's not a, I I don't feel it's attractive. Look, Damien, I've been I've been in, in Australia seven years and I've been looking for a property to buy for five of that seven years. And I've only done it two years ago, um, where I found the one that I feel that 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 I that's livable for me, and I've looked everywhere, you know, and being on the fringes um, in Adelaide is it, not user-friendly in terms of, of those aspects, you know, so it's difficult to, to come into the city for work. Um, so that's, that's, I suppose, one of the first issues, you know, and the Governor of the Reserve Bank said the same thing, infrastructure is an issue, transport is an issue. Um, The other thing is what you touched on is is how do we increase supply by by releasing some of these locked-in properties? It's not easy. There's there's a number of factors involved here. There's the emotional value attached to that property. Um, Don't underestimate that. You know, if people live there for 40, 45 years. Together with that emotional value is family pressures. You know, kids, grandkids, um, that don't want that property to be to, to let be let go mm. because they might for, for a number of reasons, for a number of reasons. And, and we do research in that as well. Um then there's the vehicles to move towards uh so downsizing. So you are going to pay stamp duty if you buy a smaller property. If you're moving to a retirement home. Good luck it's a very difficult business model it's one of the most complex contract arrangements and it's based on life rights you know so at the end of the day um you know you have to pay 25 percent of what of that value back and sometimes you know the net effect if there's no not a, a, enough capital growth the net effect is negative um for for the people people left behind so so to encourage downsizing from an older generation, we have to make the vehicles towards, towards which and the accommodation facilities towards which they, they, um, they move um, more attractive. Um, but there's also, sadly, a number of older people that don't have that, that, that property. We are seeing a significant increase in older renters we're also seeing a significant increase in older people retiring with a mortgage. Um, and that's where mortgage stress and financial stress comes in. Um, and, and, and that then, you know, borders social housing and, and, and at the end of the homelessness, especially older women, very vulnerable. Um, most, the most vulnerable group uh, for homelessness in Australia is older women. Um, so, so yes, uh, there's, there's many factors and many aspects, but, but you know, you have to make it attractive for those that own that property, um, firstly. And if you do increase supply by building, that means city fringes, you have to make it attractive as well. You know, you have to spend the money on transport, um, you know, and, and infrastructure to make that attractive.
0: Mm. And, and is the idea of the transport and stuff so... If, if you want to make living further away from a city attractive to younger people, who's maybe that's the price point that'll then lead them to, to buying a property rather than renting in the inner city, there need to be amenities. There needs to be transport infrastructure to get them to the city. There mm. needs to be uh, parks. There might need to be pools. There might need to be a bunch of things that are going to keep them busy and entertained when they're not working that so where they live is like a place they want to be.
1: Exactly. But, but also, also remember that, you know, when you're in your um, twenties, the feeling is free, you know, it's, it's a lovely time in in, in one's life, but a family setup is probably not far away. You know, you meet, you meet your your partner or your wife and, and you start a family. You know, and uh, 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 buying houses is not uh, purchasing share, buying shares, buying and selling shares. You know, so we're in this property now because we're young. Um, so let's just quickly sell it, liquidate it, and then buy something for the family. You know, there, there's too many, there's too many risks, there's too many costs involved in doing that. So my my feeling is that a millennial or, or younger generations will look at that property as as a property that's also developing into a family home. Um, so now we're talking schools, you know, and amenities for, 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 for kids, sporting facilities, those kind of things. Mm. You know, you need to think bigger. Um, so there's a planning policy uh, component to this as well. Mm. Is there... A, I only just thought of this. Do you
0: think there's a correlation that could be drawn between the delayed... Uh, generations delaying buying a home to later in life with the amount of people that are having kids later in life
1: yeah look um, that that can certainly be something be something that can be tested um, and you know if we had a rent friendly model um, the paper would probably be be, be be different. If we had the European type rental model, mm. you know that that's really that's really looking after the renter rather than the landlord. Um, you know that might that might might have an influence. Yes, I I I think I think that might have an influence on, on why people have children later in life. Look, we had children later in life. Uh, we waited eight years, but that was because of of uh, um, of work work commitments. Um, and really, an urge to see the world, you know, before, before we start a family. So there's many factors, um, but life in general is, is is difficult, Damien. If you start a family these days, and there's a lot of things to consider, um, and, and owning a property is, is 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 one of the top ones in that.
0: One of the questions I like to ask most of the guests that come on. And you, you sort of touched on it in the beginning with your intro about understanding and studying the older generations to learn from the stakes they made. That's the entire impetus of this podcast. It's all about me asking people who have more experience than I do what advice they would give their 25-year-old self, knowing what they know now, uh, mm. if they could go back. So if, if you could go back and talk to 25-year-old Brahm, what would you tell that person?
1: forget about that trip to South America and buy Apple shares. <laughs> but I didn't do that. I went to South America and I had a great time. Yeah, The, the Tango in, in, in Buenos Aires and, and Iguazu waterfalls and Patagonia and, and all of that. But that could have been uh, nicely packaged mm. in a portfolio with uh, with technology, especially technology shares, you know, and, and cellular technology shares. So, but, but, but then again, there's a there's a, a life value attached to having sure. a trip. So so yeah, um, I would probably move to Australia earlier because mm. um, that had a matter. Uh, I only moved to Australia 15 years later, um, and it has a massive financial impact if you make if you move later in life because you have to consider your family as well and and move with with them as well. You know, so if you move mm-hmm. earlier, you can start earlier so I really started over at the age of 40 in Australia um, you know when when I moved over to 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 Adelaide um, other than that probably a, a bit more prudent with my money um, and a bit more savings orientated although I I do think that I did well um, because I did focus on on owning property because I, I knew that that is, that is something South Africa has a has a, a, a home ownership policy uh, as well, you know. And I knew that 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 in terms of of later years will will be will be key to my retirement. Um, what I should have done, I touched on retirement, is think about that earlier. Start thinking about retirement in your twenties. I think it sounds weird, you know. You just start. Life. Why? Why do you want to think about retirement? But there's a lot of people that wake up at the age of 55, and then it's too late. You know that that invested in a certain fund, set a certain portfolio. Um, you know to be invested in, and just never, just never bother. You know, and then once once you start thinking about retirement and transition to a retirement, you actually see the numbers then that's that's when you wake up and then it's too late. So, you know, I I would suggest that that be, be very prudent with your retirement planning right from the start, you know, and, and be actively involved in that. Um, whatever you do out there, you know, really be actively involved in it and 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 plan for it. Um, uh, because it's it's not going to be easy. It's, it's <laughs> And things will only get difficult as we carry on. Mm. So it's really important to 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 focus on that. Further than that, Damien, I, mean, I I think I did, I did okay um in the 15 years past. Mm. Um, uh, yeah
0: that's awesome. Well listen I it's we've talked for nearly an hour and I really appreciate it. It's gone quick. That's all good. That's crazy. Yeah no <laughs> it's
1: gone like this year already you know yeah, yeah. I, I, um, I, I, I actually I, I really really enjoyed talking to you Damien and, and, and talking about the work that we're doing you know and and, and, and happy that, that we can share it with your audience.
0: Yeah for sure and I'll hopefully if you guys are releasing any more papers soon I'll, prob- I'll I'd love to have you back on so we can talk more and um, yeah, I appreciate the time as always. Thank you so much for this.
1: Excellent Damien and thank you for the opportunity.